0: Hi, this is Tina Black and this is the B Series podcast. Today we'll be exploring untold stories of transformation and leadership. We hope you'll subscribe and check out the B books and send us your stories of transformation after listening. All right, I am sitting here with Ryan Birmingham and this is my most favorite people to interview is my graduates of my paul mitchell schools and i can't even begin to tell you because 21 plus years ago when i got into this business i left dentistry most of you know to get into this business because i knew that it was going to be a ministry for me and i knew that we were going to be able to affect change and inflict change on people in the world and Ryan Birmingham is one of those people. And I had my director who's Debbie McDowell from Palma to the school, Fort Myers. She, uh, She called me and she said, Tina, you have to interview Ryan Birmingham. He comes in all the time and he gives back to our future professionals and teaches them classes all of the time. But do you really know his story? And she said, this is quote unquote, she said, he is so kind. He has a really big heart for people, and he's extremely humble. And I have to tell you, the men that are listening to this right now, because a humble male, <laughs> it's really hard. And so when you, when we, as leaders, as women, when we work with men, that's probably the hardest thing. And, and I know it's part of culture, it's part of how that uh, men are raised, But Ryan, first of all, thank you so much for being on the podcast today.
1: Oh, absolutely. You're welcome. It's an honor.
0: (laughs) So, Ryan graduated (laughs) uh, from our Palmetto School, Fort Myers, four years ago. And since then, he's been working with the Michael Thomas Hair Design in Naples, Florida, which, by the way, are some of my all-time favorite salon owners. They were the very first ones that actually came into our school back in 2011, because I had no idea if we really needed another cosmetology school in Southwest Florida. But they were the first two owners that came in and said, hey, we're going to put my uh, son through this program. That was Otto. And it was so awesome because they really, really supported us and said, yes, this is needed. So it gave me the confidence to continue on because I knew somehow, some way that we needed to start this ministry in Southwest Florida. I call it's a business, right? It's a school. It's a technical (laughs) school, but it's also a ministry. And so Ryan, uh, tell your story as far as why you went into cosmetology school, but I know you've had quite an adverse background and things that have happened to you. And I know your story because the B series is all about, uh, people have gone through adversity and come out on top and you certainly have come out on top and we're just so proud of you and everything that you've accomplished. So tell your story and your journey of getting where you are today.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, wow. Thank you for saying that. You know, it's, I was just telling you before we started the, uh, before we started, um, you know, recording here, Uh, that uh, I was just listening to some of your other podcasts and all the amazing people you've had on. It kind of is a little intimidating for me because I haven't, I haven't quite yet. I started late. Um, I (laughs) I haven't quite yet accomplished uh, everything that I hope to accomplish in my career, but um, I'm only, you know, like, like you said, four years in, and I'm 31 now, which is crazy to think and crazy to say it sounds really old to me but uh like I said I kind of kind of got, <laughs> I got a, a a really late start on my career because um just um some finding myself and, and and trying trying things uh testing the waters dipping my feet into different things creatively um I I think that's what I really wanted to do before um you know before doing hair or finding a career at least so um Anyways, yeah, I uh, grew up in Tampa, Florida, and then moved um, to Naples, Florida, uh, when I was about 10 years old, um, started fifth grade in Naples, and um, uh, I, I, we moved here to Naples, Florida, because my dad re- relocated jobs uh, from Tampa, and um, he was, a uh, well, he, he still is. Uh, he does uh, general managing for, like, uh, country clubs and private beach clubs and He's at a club right now called the Port Royal Club in, in Naples, and he, um, yeah, he, he GMs over there, and um, like I said, you know, b- before we started, before we started this, uh, you know, recording this interview, I kind of told you a little bit about it, you know, um, at a very young age, I've always saw my dad, you know, coming home from work, suit and tie, you know, super business, and uh, I, I think, you know, just, just seeing that, I, I, I think I had always saw, like, oh, that's what a that's what a you know, a man, uh, you know, that, that's what, that's what he should do. You know, that's what he should look like. He should have a job like my dad that, you know, I just didn't know any any better. I think like you were talking about before, like culture, you know, being, uh, you know, being raised in that kind of, uh, in different atmospheres, mm-hmm. it kind of instills in you, uh, how you perceive, you know, male figure versus, you know, uh, the, the woman figure. So, um, Luckily enough, uh, my dad. <laughs> well, luckily, luckily and unluckily enough, my my dad worked long hours, so I didn't really see him a whole lot. But even though we were real close, and um, you know, I love my dad, and I have a great family and great mom and dad, great great little sister, and um, you know, uh, I I was I think I just always gravitated more towards women. I don't know why. <laughs> Uh, even at a young age, I think uh, just being around my mom all the time and her friends, I, I, I think maybe just, yeah, just being around uh, women more than men. I, I don't know what it was. I think it just, I think that, I think that really kind of like helped me in my, in my career now, honestly. Um, obviously I deal, uh, or I, uh, I hang out with a lot more women than I do men in the salon. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so yeah, really, really kind of helped. But anyways, um yeah, I I think uh, you know, moving forward, you know, from from there, you know, in high school, uh, graduating, I was in a band and um I did not go to college right away. I um I graduated from from high school, immediately went on tour. I, I played keyboards for a kind of I guess kind of like a rock band. And um, yeah, I did that for four years straight. Did that from 18 years old to, to 22 years old and uh, just, you know, toured the United States um, trying to, you know, quote unquote, make it big. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, a lot of really cool um, opportunities came from it. Um, playing really awesome shows um, with a really, you know, bigger name bands, meeting a lot of, um, a lot of, you know, industry people and shaking a lot of hands with a lot of really powerful people and the music industry It was Is really cool. And it kind of, um, I think, you know, being a teenager during that time into my, you know, early twenties, I think I, you sort of always, you you kind of feel like you already made it in a way, you know what I mean? Whether you were uh, signed or not, Uh, you play one big show, um, you know, you're like, Oh man. And it's like, it's fuel for the next big show, you know, and um, fuel for the next big tour that we would do. And um, I think that, uh, you know, I, I think I got really kind of wrapped up in, in, in that idea of, um, you know, being in a band and, and um, I was like, oh, I guess this is going to be my life now, you know, just, just touring all the time and, and having fun all the time with, with no, you know, <laughs> no one telling me what to do, where to be, uh, you know, obviously, you know, being at a show <laughs> where we were supposed to be. But uh, as far as the, you know, my daytime activities, it was just a lot of doing whatever I wanted to do, uh, hanging out with my friends, um, you know, which obviously um, came with a lot of doing some drugs and, and, and drinking a lot, more drinking than anything else. But um, that, I think, you know, later really um, kind of a- affected me later in my life, obviously, because, you know, I, we would tour anywhere from 150 to 160 days out of every year for four years straight. So it was just a lot of, a lot of drinking, a lot of not eating right, a lot of being really unhealthy, you know, being 19, 20, 21 years old. It was, um, I didn't really realize, you You know, you, you're young, you think you're invincible. And um, or at least I did. From my experience, I kind of felt that way. That I was, an, you know, invincible. And um, I just, uh, yeah, I continued to do uh, what, you know, what was bad for me not knowing. Um, and, uh, eventually, you know, when I, uh, I left the band, I kind of, uh, started, I started doing some online classes at, for college cause I was kind of like in limbo. I didn't really know what I was going to do now. It's like out of the band. Um, it was, it was a, a weird time. I was living with my, you know, living with my parents, um, you know, being, a, being home a lot more. And, um, uh, during that time, you know, I was kind of stressed out about college and, and oh my gosh, all my friends are like graduating college now and here I am starting college. I felt like I wasn't good enough. You know, like I felt like I wasn't, I wasn't living up to my my parents' expectations and my friends were, uh, some of my, some of my friends were kind of moving on with their lives and getting married, maybe having children or whatever, you know, the case may be. I was kind of seeing it all over the internet and, think uh, that hit me harder than uh, I expected, honestly, and uh, my drinking only progressed. Um, it, it became kind of a uh, an, uh, an everyday thing for, you know, for a whole year. I, th- I don't think gosh, I, gosh, I think I drank every day for a full year, um, <laughs> which was kind of what I was doing anyways when I was on tour. But um, even more so being at home with nothing to do but go to school and then come back from school and go to a job. And, um, I mean, I worked in a restaurant atmosphere, so, um, I was, I was kind of able to, to drink on the job when I was there too, because they had, um, they had, you know, full bar and, and, um, you know, I was kind of made friends with the bartender. <laughs> so he could, uh, he could uh, like sneak me drinks and stuff like that. And yeah, I think the repetition of that just over time, you know, uh, it eventually kind of takes its course. It runs its course. And, uh, you know, uh, eventually you become, you know, unaware uh, that you're becoming addicted to a substance, you know, and, um, along with all the stressors of, of my life of, come kind of being in limbo from, from, you know, breaking off from the band and, um, going to college and not knowing what I want to do with, uh, with college. It was tough. So, um, yeah, eventually I landed in rehab. Um, which really sucked that was kind of probably I think the um the the one of the bottoms (laughs) it's not quite the bottom yeah I'll get to that part but um yeah that was kind of that was rough you know my I had to I I essentially admit it to my family and um my girlfriend at the time that I had a a a problem I had an issue with drinking and yeah I had had an issue with drinking and I had to kind of admit it to myself and um you know, my parents were actually really supportive and I wouldn't have been able to, to do it without them, um, going to, going into rehab and, and without their support. And my, you know, it was just amazing. I know a lot of people out there that struggle with substance abuse don't have that support. My parents were really supportive of me and they just wanted me to get better. And so they, you know, I went to one of the best of the best places I could, uh, for a month and, uh, Uh, you know, attempted to get better. And um, I don't think I fully admitted to myself during that month time at 23 years old when I was in there, that I uh, was going to fully quit drinking and drugging. Uh, I thought that maybe if I just put a little bit of time between me and the the drink, that I, I would tell my counselors this at school. And they're like, dude, no, that's not how this works. Like you have a disease, you'll always have this disease now. And You'll, you'll never get, you'll never be able to go back to it. It's just how it works. We know, we know because we've experienced this and with, with others that come in and out of here, you know, if you start drinking again or you start using again, you're only going to either, you know, end up in jail or you're going to end up dead or you'll end up back in here, but most likely the other two. So that was a, 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 a little bit more of a sobering moment and sobering enough to where it kept me sober for a year and a half. And um, during that year and a half, I, I had moved to Orlando, Florida to um, with my, my then-girlfriend. It was like a new chapter. Like, I'm going to go to a different school. You know, maybe things will change. <laughs> maybe things will get better if I just go to a different school and move to a different uh, city. More things to do outside of Naples, Florida. So, um, yeah, I, m- I moved to Orlando and lived with my then girlfriend for one year and things started kind of falling apart in, in, in our relationship. And um, you know, looking back at it, looking back on, on that time now, I mean, I know that it was me. I, mean, I know that, um, you know, I mean, obviously we know, no one, you know, both of us are, weren't, weren't perfect. <laughs> we, we both had our, our issues, but um, I definitely think that I was not ready for uh, a relationship. I, I needed a relationship with myself first. Mm-hmm. And I need to, I need to, to learn about myself and, and love myself first before I could love anyone else. And that was a huge realization after I relapsed for, um, a, a year and a half. In I had broken up with my, with my then girlfriend was working, um, full time for a tattoo shop in, in Orlando, kind of, uh, not tattooing, but, you know, uh, kind of like, managing a little bit, um, you know, opening and closing uh, the, the shop and doing emails for the, the two artists and stuff like that. And yeah, I had, um, yeah, I had relapsed. I re- relapsed hard too, like really hard. And um, for, I, it didn't take me long. It took me 13 days to and back up in rehab again. Um, this time I was not, it was not by choice too. That was kind of, that was, that was rough. I met my roommate, Pretty much carried me and put me in the car. Called my parents and it was like, "Your son is not good. <laughs> he's um, he's not good at all. Where do I go?" And they're like, "Drive him, drive him to the you know rehab center in, in West Palm Beach." So she drove me from Orlando all the way to West Palm Beach. I woke up actually like almost there, and um, she was like, "Hey, we're you know we're real close to where you went to rehab." And, um, I think at that moment I, I, I was, I was upset, but then when we pulled in the parking lot, I was so relieved because I knew that as soon as I got into the nursing with the nursing staff, I, I would be okay because, um, you know, they, they kind of pump you full of some medication to kind of, to ease your, um, um, uh, what's the uh what's the word I'm looking for
0: the symptoms
1: what you're mm-hmm. yeah the symptoms thank you yeah um yeah the sh- the shaking and all that stuff like that mm-hmm. um and uh yeah so that that was uh then my parents showed up about an hour later because they drove from Naples across the alley yeah so you know just uh, he was when he was looking at me in my eyes like it was it was like it, it wasn't like it was a mixture of uh kind of like, I feel bad for him. Yeah. I'm very disappointed because I thought he had this because he had, he had made a lot of promises to, you know, um, the family that, you know, things were going to be good with him. Like he was gonna, he was just gonna, I think he just wanted, he didn't care about what I was going to do in my life. He was going to support me and love me. He just wanted me to stay sober because he knew what I didn't know, which was I couldn't drink, I couldn't, I, you know, I couldn't use drugs, I couldn't do anything like that. I just he just wanted me to stay sober, and um, I I think I realized that just in that moment of him looking at me, like all you had to do was one thing, and you couldn't even do that one thing, which was just you know stay sober. And um, I I at that moment I knew something that um, I don't think that they were going to. Um, they were going to understand or, or trust in me um, until later, which was I will never drink or, or use ever again, because I had realized in that moment of my dad looking at me like, wow, this is a real thing. I really do have a disease like this isn't some fake thing that I can just put time between me and, and, and drinking and, and using drugs. And I'll be, be able to use them casually and you know freely whenever I want. It was like, something that was always gonna be with me. And um so yeah, I had to put in some more work. So um I just had to get better. I had to get sober. Um and that was luckily enough time for me to to get sober in there and talk to you know a therapist and a, a psychiatrist, whatever, and um some counselors and what I was what my plan was going to be after that. So um ended up going back to Orlando where I had uh I had some friends at the tattoo shop. Um, you know, there would be times where we'd go to bars and stuff like that. And, you know, it was, it, it, it was kind of rough cause I felt like I was kind of missing out, but I knew that I had to stay sober. I knew that, um, it was going to take some work and, and I had to, I just had to deal with it. There's this, you know, it's like, you're, you know, you're allergic to something. If you're allergic to, uh, you know, bread or cheese or whatever, <laughs> you know, you can't have it. <laughs> you're allergic okay. to it. Yeah, I just kind of—I I think I just like really instilled that in my head. I was like, if I drink this, like I could die. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't want to die. So, um, anyways, uh, it was just uh, ironic and or, or maybe fate—I don't know—that I was uh, friends with some cosmetologists and some and some barbers, and they were like, "Hey, man, you know, you dropped out of school, right? What like what are you doing? You're just gonna work at the tattoo shop for the rest of your life?" And I was like, "Well, no, like I I, I don't really know. I haven't really figured it out." And they're like, "Well," Why don't you do hair? You should check out this you know school we went to um, here in Orlando called you know, Paul Mitchell. And I was like, oh, that sounds kind of cool. And they were showing me pictures of you know things that they do and hair and different different things. I had no idea, you know, I was like oblivious of the uh, you know the industry and the and you know that world. Um, like I said before, you know, when I was in high school, my my ex girlfriend she wanted to do hair. Her mom did hair. I was around hair in the salon. I, I watched it being done and even cut a little hair actually (laughs) when I was, uh, when I was really young on like my friends, you know, just kind of just for fun, you know what I mean? Um, never knowing, you know, that I was going to, you know, be doing it as a career, but, um, yeah. So, uh, I was like, well, I'm not doing anything else. And I, and I guess they're right. You know, I don't want to work at the tattoo shop for the rest of my life. I really just, you know, it's not like a career for me at least. Um, so I went to, uh, Paul Mitchell in Orlando to, to, like do a little tour and I loved it. It was like, it was, it was what, I, what I noticed actually, what I noticed, the, the first thing that I noticed was that everyone kind of seemed like me, you know what I mean? I felt like I, like I felt like I finally like found somewhere where I belonged, you know, like I found my people, I found my culture, <laughs> I found my tribe, you know, <laughs> there was oh, okay. people with tattoos, there was people with cool hair and, uh, they dressed like me, you know what I mean? Um, I was like, wow I didn't I didn't realize I could do a career or have a career where I could be myself. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I said, you know if we you know if we go and kind of take a, a step back and for a second and, and think about what I had said about my dad, you know like growing up as a little kid, I'd always saw my dad in a suit and tie coming home from work. I just kind of expected that's like what I had to do in a way, you know unknowingly I, I you know um, I guess more subconsciously, I would, I would think that that's a man's job, you know, I gotta, gotta have a suit and tie. I gotta go to work, I have an office job or or something like that to be successful. Um, I didn't realize there was, um, you know, I I guess I realized that there was other jobs where you could, you know, wear what you wanted, you know, (laughs) and look how I looked and be successful. But, um, I didn't, I didn't know how I was going to do it because I hadn't found uh, what, what I might be, uh, good at or successful, at until I found, um, until I found hair. So, um, yeah, got, got into, got into hair school when I was 20, 26, I turned 27, um, in hair school. I, I moved back to, um, to Naples cause I couldn't, I couldn't go to Paul Mitchell full time and have a, uh, have a job and pay rent <laughs> in Orlando. hmm so um, I needed my parents' support again and again. They were there for me, <laughs> of course. And mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I moved. I moved back to to Naples and lived with my parents. And while I went to while I went to Paul Mitchell of Fort Myers, and uh, yeah, it was the it was the it was a huge turning point in my life. It was the first time I f- I found somewhere where I actually uh, felt like I belonged and. Um, you know, I met you and I met, <laughs> I met a lot of awesome other, other people who've kind of steered me in the right direction. Cause I still, even, you know, even at 31 years old, I still like, I still have, uh, some, some bits and pieces of me that are kind of in limbo. They're kind of like, I don't really know what I'm doing today. I'm just, I know I'm going to work. <laughs> I know mm-hmm. when I get there, I'm going to plan my day and I'm going to look at my schedule, but, um, God, it's amazing what, <laughs> what, uh, what drugs and, and, uh, alcohol and, 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 things can, you know, living a life of like a, like a nomad, you know, touring, uh, that kind of lifestyle is, is, is crazy. And it'll turn you into, you know, this, uh, this kind of, a mad person where you're just like, you know, you're not, you're unscheduled and you're just kind of roaming the, you know what I mean? Without a, mm. without a, a worry, without a schedule, without, um, you know, any, any consequences almost, you know? So, um, when I, when I, you know, had some structure in my life, I, I thrived not only yeah. with, with, with my career and, and, um, you know, and, uh, you know, doing well with, with hair and, um, you know, traveling to New York city to do some extra curricular haircutting classes and, uh, at the Redken exchange in New York city, um, you know, just the opportunities that, uh, you know we just kept coming for me you know just staying sober having um you know working for a, a a great salon um where i could be myself um be around people like minded people it just really really helped me kind of stay in the right lane and um i have gosh i kind of feel like uh you know i i owe so much credit to the my family and my friends because gosh, like if I didn't have, you know, and, and my girlfriend, you know, now of, uh, almost four years, like they just keep me grounded. You know, they keep me, they keep me sober without them even knowing that they do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause I, don't, I, mm-hmm. I haven't really, I don't really like, you know, tell them that, but maybe if they listen to this podcast, they'll hear it now. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they, they kind of keep me, um, they keep me, they keep me right. They keep me good. They keep me straight. And, um, yeah, I guess maybe that, that's where the humbleness comes from because it could be mm-hmm. so much worse. I could be, you know, back to uh, to living in my car, you know, um, <laughs> you know, it's really sick not wanting to show my face to my friends and family because, you know, because I didn't want them to know how bad it had gotten, you know, with, with mm-hmm. drinking and drugging that I ended up just living in my car for a week, you know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm so grateful that I'm, um, you know, I'm here where I am now. And um, I'm just, I'm just, uh, I'm just glad I'm sober. It doesn't really have to be anything crazy or anything, you know, uh, I don't, you know, my goals are super small, (laughs) you know, Uh, because I just want to get to the next day right now. You know what I mean? I just take it one day at a time. And uh, every day that I wake up and I'm alive is, and I have this uh, career of where I can be. Uh, creative and, and be around uh, like-minded people who make me laugh and make me want to just live a better life. It's just, it's so great. Uh, I feel, and I feel good about it. So.
0: Yeah. Wow. Your story is just tremendous. And, and Brian, I mean, there's so many people that I know that didn't make it through this. And there's someone that I know that actually just passed away a couple of years ago uh, from overdose. And, you know, what is it talk about to the people right now that maybe don't understand or someone that actually is addicted, but doesn't know it. Okay. And, uh, what, what exactly is going through your mind when you are on the drugs? I'm not sure what types of drugs were you on and what type of alcohol were you drinking? And so maybe speak to that right now, because maybe someone is on both of those and thinks that they're in control right now.
1: Well yeah, I mean gosh, you don't really realize how how uh, how little control you have while you're on the drug, you know what I mean? It, it'll mm. it's so the oh my god, it's it's I almost can't even explain the feeling until you know, until you're using, really. You know what I mean? And it's been it's been, you know, a little over 6 years now that I've been sober and um gosh, like if <laughs> the the feeling of being um, you know, you just kind of you feel like you're invincible, and you and you don't realize it until you until you're down on the ground and you can't breathe. You know what I mean? And that's that's what's so crazy about the disease. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. It's hard to talk someone who's using um, into uh, into stop using if they're not ready to stop using. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? So, Mm -hmm. uh, like I said, I can't speak for, for everyone's, you know, anyone who's using, who's in a, in in a, you know, we're all in different places in our life. I just, I, you know, from, I can speak for myself though, that the only way that I felt like I was going to get through it is by reaching out to people who, who loved and cared for me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And by, by doing that, um, I was, I was, you know, like I said, like maybe some people don't have that option, gosh, you know, but, um, God, reach out to a friend, even if you don't feel that same connection that you might have with your with your family. Reach out to a friend because someone will listen, you know. Someone someone will listen because I guarantee you someone that person has a friend or a family member who who've gone through the same thing. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Not many people feel as blessed as you were with your family of them just completely accepting you. And so talk to the people right now that maybe think that their family won't because maybe there was a time that you're thinking my family's not going to support me. You know, talk about that untold story about where maybe you thought, well, maybe they won't support me, but then you were surprised that they did. Because I think a lot of people that are addicted, uh, they're afraid. They're ashamed to tell their parents.
1: Yeah, yeah, that shame. That's that that's shame. actually what I. Yeah, mm-hmm. I felt that more. I felt shame more than anything else. A shame, and embarrassment. I think that I was, I was. So surprised on how my family reacted once I told them, and I, I think that once I s- just like spewed out the honesty with them. Um, now you know, I'm not saying that there weren't some you know negative. <laughs> negative things that were said back to me um, but I think that if you can get past that first initial step everything just flows mm. so much easier and you uh, you know if they're not if your parents or your family or your friends aren't cool with you telling 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 your honesty at that moment about mm-hmm. you know uh, that you might need help to them they will eventually because they love you and if they and it you know if they love you and care about you they'll you might, you know, react a certain way at first, but they'll always, they'll always come back in the end to, to telling you that they would have done anything for you.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I love that. It, it's so true because when you do tell someone all of a sudden, especially family, they're immediately is like, oh my gosh, I, I feel ashamed as a parent because what could I have done more what should i've done what did i do wrong so they're dealing with their own shame issues oh, So yeah. that shame breeds shame you know and so oh, yeah and, and and so that happens but i i love that you talked about that it's it's like an allergic reaction you know the addiction and you mm-hmm. can never go back to it you know or or you could die you know you think of somebody that's allergic to peanuts if they were to eat them exactly they would die. And <laughs> yeah. I love, I love that you said that because I know people that have gone through had DUIs, they knew they were addicted to alcohol and got off of it for a minute, but then start drinking again. And it's that, mm-hmm. that slippery slope, you know, talk about that with you and what advice do you have for someone right now that maybe have that addiction, but may maybe isn't aware, speak to them right now. Give them some warning signs.
1: Oh gosh, man. Yeah, like you said, it is like a slippery slope. It's like a snowball effect. I, I always kind of gravitated to that kind of uh, analogy. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, you, take, you know, you take one step and you fall down the hill, uh, down a snowy hill. And then, you know, what happens when you keep rolling? You go faster and faster and you're picking up more snow as you go. And, you know, and by the time you get to the bottom of the hill, you're buried. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And snow, because you've just, it's the same thing with, with drinking. It starts with one and you're like, Oh, I, I had a drink yesterday and I'm fine. I'm not, you know, <laughs> you'll come up with any kind of uh, excuse to continue drinking because it's, it's so important to you. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. it, it was like, starts with one, then it goes on. And then the next day you have maybe two or three. And then by the third day you had a six pack, you know, or you had three or four shots with the six pack, and and then you're, you know, then someone brings over cocaine. You know what I mean? I, you know, <laughs> you find mm-hmm. yourself in weird, uh, <laughs> you find yourself in weird positions where you never thought you'd be in again. But um, like you said, it's a snow, Like I said, it was a it was a, a snowball effect where it starts off okay, and you wake up in the morning, you're like, oh, I'm not hungover. Like I, you you go to work and you go on with your day. I'm like, oh, maybe I've you know, it's so cunning, you know what I mean? Like uh, drinking and, and, and drugging. It's like, it has a mind of its own in a way. And gosh, if I could, um, got advice. Is that what you're, you're asking? What yeah. advice? Like,
0: yeah. What advice someone that maybe, uh, it's like, ah, oh, it's not that bad. I'm in, I'm in control of it. You know, talk to them right now.
1: I'm trying to think back on like how yeah. I, how, how many times I've said that to myself. Yeah. You know what I mean?
0: What's that untold story for you that finally got you to recognize that you were saying that? You're like, no, I'm not in control.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's,
0: like you said, that's, you know, like the person eating peanuts, like that's allergic to them. Like, I'm in control, but I'm not going to die. I'm going to go ahead and eat these, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Gosh, <laughs> I, it's so, it, it's such a hard question. And I think it's a hard question mm-hmm. because, um, the, I've, I have friends still now to this day, you know, that obviously I won't name, (laughs) but I I can think of that. They probably have a problem Mm -hmm. and, um, they are just getting by, you know what I mean? By the, you know, by the hair on their chin, you know what I mean? They're just the skin on their teeth. What, you know, they're, they're just getting by because they are, um, able to kind of continue drinking and sort of, live a functioning life while they're drinking. Whereas with me, when I drank, I went in hard and there was no coming back. You know what I mean? So we're all different in that Mm -hmm. sense. So uh, I Mm -hmm. think that once you have that, uh, you know, it, it, it's hard to speak for every uh, person that might have a problem because our problem might be different. You know what I mean? Whereas they're kind of getting by. So they're like, uh, well, I still have my job. I still have my kids, my family, you know, um, my life is fine. Um, you know what I mean? So it's kind of, it's kind of hard. And I can only speak to to someone who may have, ha- you know, the, the, the drink or the drug may hit them the same way that it hit me. And mm-hmm. if I were to speak to that person, I would just tell them that, um, eventually, you know, I think if you just realize that they're, probably won't be in next time if you are you know want to get sober and you do get sober just realize that you know the next time you you pick up um you could just possibly die you know what I mean and that that was Mm -hmm. enough for me and I know it sounds really harsh you know I I think it it sounds kind of like like well no it's a no-brainer you know what I mean but it yeah (laughs) For me, that was enough. Knowing that I that I, you know, knowing that I will probably most likely die if I pick up again. I don't want to die. I want to be here on this world, you know, in this world, on this planet, living with the people I love and I care and I you know and I care most about. And if I if I couldn't do it for myself, I'd do it for them. You know what I mean? But I think that with time and practice of being you know being sober, um, I think if someone would have just told me that it's okay, they understand you know how I feel because they've gone through the same thing and that it's okay. And that you shouldn't be embarrassed. And that I, you know, there are people that are here for you. It's a lot easier to get sober.
0: Yeah. And I think the more that we call it to light and have these of real conversations, Ryan, I think it's going to help people to want to talk more too. And I think we've always put such a shame on addictions, you know, for so many years that people don't talk about it. Yeah, no one, no one wants to be an alcoholic. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> no one wants exactly. to be an alcoholic. No one, no one goes out, you know, and goes, you know what I think I'm going to mm-hmm. do today, I'm going to be an alcoholic, or I'm going yeah. <laughs> yeah. to be a drug user. It just kind of happens, yeah. you know, it, it bites you in the butt yeah. without you even knowing it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, uh, it, and if you kind of get that through your head, it's kind of easier to be like, oh, I, I'm not ashamed of it, because I, I didn't really realize it was happening to me. It just happened to me. Like no one goes out and sets out to be you know, have a diabetes, you know what I mean? They just kind of have I was just going to
0: say that, diabetes. I was just going <laughs> to say that. You know, it's, you know I, mean? it's I, I liken it, Ryan, to uh, my mom was diabetic or is diabetic her pretty much her mm-hmm. whole life. And, and I knew I had that slippery slope with sugar. And, and I had like this really strong addiction to sugar. And it took uh, where I had gotten cancer to stop. And I said, you know what? I'm done. With this and no one can believe that I don't eat sugar. I mean, because this is I was the woman who uh, I would make a cake and I kept going back and eating till I had the whole thing. So I likened the same addiction to alcohol as I did to sugar. And you're right. And you know, you have people walking around with diabetes that are addicted to sugar, you know, and so it takes that what's that untold story you know what was the transformation for you you know that's what this b series is all about what's that untold story because i think your untold story ryan my untold story could also uh, excite someone and make them think i want that story too you know and it's deep in your heart i can't even begin to tell you the amount of podcasts that i listen to of different people and all of a sudden they'll say something and my heart will flutter because I feel like it's God downloading to me like, hey, I want this for you too. And, and so I want to go backwards because you said something earlier that I want to hit on because I think this is so important because I'm going to call this podcast series Be Humble. And I've already made some steps of some things that you said because one of the things that In our companies, Ryan, uh, we only hire people who are humble, hungry, and smart, Uh, meaning uh, humility, uh, no arrogance, obviously, Uh, but number two, hungry, meaning that they really, really want this as a career, not just a job. And then lastly, smart, like they know their strengths, they know their weaknesses, they're willing to be coached, that kind of thing. And, And so... You just are that epitome of humbleness. And I'm going to dig deep uh, to find out some steps. Please do. I'm an open so book Yeah. <laughs> so that some people can, you know, become humble because I think you got to do, so, you got to do some work. And I, I know for a fact <laughs> that in rehab, you did some work and my mom went to yep. rehab a couple times as well. And as a, as a child, of going through with my, what my mom went through is mainly, uh, from alcohol to prescription drugs, which, uh, most people don't realize, you know, that doctors will put them on prescription drugs, but they become exactly just addicted to the prescription drugs as they did the alcohol and the drugs that they were on. Right. So it's doctor given drugs. And so that's what she was on. And so, Uh, going through that process you know going back and forth you know and going through that we had to do some work you know the trigger points and my mom I'm so proud of her she's in her 80s she's for the first time going through a counseling and I'm just I'm so proud of her because she's gonna be able to finish strong like it's never too late right to do that work oh my god yeah no way You said something earlier, you said, I felt like I wasn't good enough and I wasn't going to meet my parents' expectations. And, and I get it because I think we all as kids, you know, we kind of grow up in that culture. Like I was catching myself with my grandson saying, oh, you're such a good boy. And I'm like, I got to stop saying good. Because no one's good uh, <laughs> apart from yeah. having God. Nobody's good, right? And, uh, but how, how, about, how about I just say, <laughs> you're such a nice boy. You are such a nice boy. And so I, now I'm telling my grandson, you're such a nice boy because he is, you know? And uh, so yeah. talk about that process. About I felt like it, I wasn't good enough in meeting my parents' expectations. How have you been able to overcome that? What's kind of like that untold story for you?
1: Yeah. Um, gosh, I think that, um, well, first of all, I mean, my parents just want, you know, they just want you know, me, me to be healthy. I think, um, they want me to be alive and well. Um, I think everything else, you know, uh, they could care less about, they just want me to be happy and healthy, you know, <laughs> I think, um, yes. you, you know, and that's, uh, and that's something that I think I actually, realized, <laughs> you know, later down the road, or it's like, I was putting like my, you know, my dad, I think maybe, um, my mom and my dad on, on this pedestal, you know what I mean? That I, it's unattainable goal that I would never reach because, you know, I, I'm not the type of person that wants, you know, children. I'm not the, um, I'm not the, you know, you know, big house, white picket fence type of guy, you know what I mean? I'm not the fancy, fancy car kind of person that I, I just I'm not that kind of person. And I thought maybe that to be successful, I would have to have those things like my parents had, you know what I mean? When Mm -hmm. I I probably could have just talked to them about that and told them how I felt. And, you know, it wasn't until, you know, growing up and obviously uh, going, going through some, some self-reflecting and rehab and stuff like that, that I realized that, that, you know, my parents don't care about that crap. You know, they just want me to be happy and they want me to be healthy. And that's, if I can do those two things, um, everything else will probably follow, you know, (laughs) happy, healthy, maybe then successful, maybe then a house, you know, maybe then a nice car, you know, everything kind of follows with that. But um, even if those things never happened, just knowing that my parents um, love me and they'll support me um, doing whatever I'm doing um, as long as I'm, (laughs) as long as I'm happy and I'm healthy and um that's all they care about and I think once I got that in my head I instilled that in my head um I the pressure kind of like the it stopped weighing so much on my on my shoulders you know what I mean once um it was kind of like wow they just want me to be sober they just want me to be happy and healthy I know I've said that like eight times now but it's the truth you know and I still Mm -hmm. have that in my mindset today like my my dad and my, my mom, they're, they're proud of me and the things I've accomplished, but um, gosh, listening to your podcast and listening to uh, <laughs> some of the, the accomplishments that other people have, have had. And even people who I work with, like I have my, my mom and my dad and my little sister, I'm just grateful that I didn't die <laughs> and that mm-hmm. I'm here. And I, and it's funny. And I think that's what makes me humble or, um, you know, people have said, makes me humble, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, that I'm just happy that I'm alive. And, you know, if I have a bad day with, uh, you know, I'm, I'm only, you know, I didn't, I didn't hit my, my, uh, retail goal for the day or something. It's like, well, I'm alive. <laughs> it's all good. I'm going to go home. And, you know, there's so many people in this world that have it so much worse. You know what I mean? There are still people mm. who are living on the streets, you know what I mean? Who don't have a, apartment a nice apartment to go home they don't have parents that are supportive of them um, whether they're in a financial bind I mean we're going through this Mm
0: -hmm. corona
1: the coronavirus thing is happening right now and Mm -hmm. you know my dad called me you know I I want you to know like don't worry about any any you know bills or financial stuff and I just like god like you know it makes me it gets me kind of choked Mm -hmm. up now because like that's like the last thing I was I was thinking of um, and he mm-hmm. calls me and tells me that like not to worry about bills and, and, I, and I'm just like, I get choked up because like there's people out there that don't have that. You know what I mean? They don't, they don't yeah. have that, that cushion. They don't have that support and, and love from family. So I'm just so grateful for that, that I don't have to, you know, I, I just, I'm just grateful. You know what I mean? I, I don't know if it answers your question. I've yeah. kind of got no,
0: that's really <laughs> get
1: lost in my own words. I Sorry. love it.
0: No, this is great, Ryan. So, okay. So this is what I wrote down. Um, so be humble. Um, this is how you get humility, so to speak. So I put down step one, uh, which I want to stay on for a couple minutes and then we'll go through. I actually have six. So stay, hold on to your yeah, bootstraps no here, everybody, because it's pretty awesome what I've extracted out of Ryan today. Um, so to be humble, you have to be grounded, surrounded, and connected. And I actually stole that from my business partner, Amy uh, Van Slambrick, who's a psychotherapist. And she actually did a message with Tim's story, which is really amazing. Highly recommend following Tim's Tim story. Uh, but I, I love this about you because, uh, Ryan, that's exactly what you've done. And And something that I also... I'm really, really proud that you've done because this isn't uh, very, very common because nowadays what I'm seeing are future professionals graduating cosmetology school and isolating themselves in salon suites. And I'm not saying that it's horrible and bad, but I believe in most cases it is. And, and because of the fact that you've gotten around higher minded people, which truly I know that your salon ownership is higher minded people and they're incredible what they've set up their business plan and how they set up their people for success. Tell me why you ended up choosing an employee based salon versus becoming your own entrepreneur and what kind of made you uh, make that decision a and then B um, what has it done for you since you've been there?
1: Oh man, that's an easy one. That was a softball question. (laughs) I love it. I just thrive, I thrive in, in uh, you know, around people, around like-minded people who, uh, br- who are constantly lifting each other up, whether it be, you know, um, through cre- creativity or for um, hitting, you know, retail or, you know, whatever, whatever goals that we're tra- all trying to obtain, you know, it's funny, c- like, I-, I know that there's probably some salons out there that aren't the same, but um, then there are a lot that, are like my salon where I where I work at Michael Thomas hair design and and we are just friends (laughs) I think that Mm -hmm. all of us are friends and it's so easy to uh do well around your friends because it makes it more fun it makes it a a creative space uh that is like it's freeing to kind of like you know be in that space where you're not constantly trying to one-up each other you know it, it's it's definitely that kind of atmosphere where I work. And um gosh, if I was alone in a suite, I mm. I would be bad. I <laughs> I just try to think about like not only would it be like super stressful trying to manage myself and like, you know, the all the all the things that I have to get, like color and um all the all the products I'd have to buy and uh, oh my god, trying to keep uh, it just like I don't know how you do it as a salon owner, Tina. Like it's incredible the amount of work that into behind the scenes of like, you know, uh, de- budgeting alone is, is, is insane. I don't want that stress on my life. And I also want the, the support of a team, you know, like I, I always mm-hmm. believed in that, uh, you know, I, gosh, I have to lean, sometimes we have to lean on each other, you know what I mean, for support. And if you're in a salon suite, like, it's going to be real tough to, you know, have someone there to help you in times of need, whether it's financial create, or a creative as- aspect, you know. So being around, um, being around my friends is, you know, um, uh, is amazing. Um, and then secondly, the fact that I have the creative freedom and I can bounce ideas off of, um, you know, um, you know, my coworkers, um, it's, it just makes my job so much easier. And, and if I needed help, there's, uh, you know, a helping hand, I, you know, a foot away from me and, um, it just, yeah. I, th- I think that's pretty much it, you know? I don't yeah. know if that answers your question.
0: Yeah. No, I love that because earlier you said something that really hit home with me, Uh, Ryan, when you said you walked into the Paul Mental School, you said, I found my people. And that's what happened to me when I met when Claybaugh and John Paul DeJoria, which was in 2001, August of 2001. And I was actually in dentistry at the time. And we went to hear kind of like this pitch. I had bought a cosmetology school and I had it for a couple of years as a traditional beauty school and when we heard this pitch of becoming a palmental school and the culture that they had created and just the types of people that the two were it was really incredible because i was like i found my people <laughs> and so <laughs> it's such a good feeling too yes, right isn't it, it such is. a good
1: feeling because you kind of feel yes. like at some sometimes in in your life and your in your multiple careers maybe that you've had in the past you're like man like I, mm-hmm. why why do i why am i different you know what i mean like and how come there aren't <laughs> Some people around me like it 's kind of like a, an, a kind of you sort of feel alone, you know what I mean like like uh, you hope that there's you know in a dream world there 's some career out there, there where there's uh, people just like me, and then you find it and you 're like yeah it, it's gosh yes. it, i mean it doesn't it doesn 't matter how much money you make after that you just want to be uh, <laughs> you just want to hang out at work and be around your friends you know
0: yes, I totally agree with you on that, and I love the fact that you said that and and I believe this is all of us. I believe we all need to find our place where we belong, right? And, and none of us belong by ourselves. We just don't belong by ourselves. And so really, really, um, I, I love the fact that you have been grounded, surrounded, and connected. You found your people. And the mere fact that this coronavirus that's just hit our country, this pandemic, people are unemployed, well, from what I'm understanding right now, the only people that are able to collect unemployment are people who were are employed. And so if you're self-employed, it's much more difficult to be able to get any yeah. type of help from the government. They may give some yeah. sort of tax relief uh, this year. Yeah of course, to the uh, self-employed, but it remains to be seen (laughs) right now. And I know that my people are able to collect unemployment and which is just a beautiful thing without a big hard hit supposedly to the business owners, which is awesome because we have to put our people first. And that's the one way to put our people first, giving them a temporary layoff and helping them through that process. So um, it's just really, really huge. So I put down number one, be grounded, surrounded, connected in order to be humble. Number two, um, I wrote down, be aware of anything holding you back. If there's any sort of addictions that may be holding you back and, and, you know, now more time than ever, I think our why is so big, Ryan, we have to stay healthy. We have to keep our immune systems up. And two of the ways that uh, that obviously keep our immune systems down is by not eating healthy and by putting toxic things into our bodies like drugs and alcohol, pre- over overdoing prescription medications. That's the types of things that are gonna really hurt us in the long run and lower our immune system more than ever. We need to raise that up. And I love that you said that you just didn't wanna die. Like that was a transformational moment <laughs> for you yeah. because I yeah. think there's some people that are suicidal or have these horrible thoughts. There's lies that they've told themselves over the years What was that transformational moment for you, Ryan? Uh, Because I remember there was actually a time in my life, I was uh, 16 years old, and I actually wrote a suicide note to my family. And there was that transformational moment for me, Ryan, that said, I don't want to die. Like, I feel like I have so much more to live. I feel like there's something that was deep inside of me. Now I know it was God just downloading to me like, hey, hang in there. Like, I got you. And uh, what was that for you? What was that wake up call for you to say, no, you need to live, Ryan?
1: Yeah, I think it was the, I think it was my relapse, you know, my second time that I went to, um, uh, to rehab when I woke up in my Ryan roommate's car when we were driving there and I was like, oh my God, like this happened again. Like I couldn't believe it. Like I Mm. I didn't, I did not believe that that was ever going to happen to me again. And then, you know, obviously getting into the, uh, the nurse's, uh, nurse's office and, and seeing my parents there. And, um, you know, I, you know, there's one thing that I said, you know, before, when I was talking about my dad looking at me, I, the, the look that I could see in his eyes of, it wasn't like, a, you know, like he was really, really mad at me. It was that he, he was just, he felt, I think he just felt really bad and that he just wanted me to get better. And it was maybe a little bit of disappointment, but, the one thing I, I kind of didn't get to really get to, which was um, maybe the answer to this, this last question, but um, he, I do remember him kind of coming up to me and hugging me and my mom as well, hugging me and saying uh, like, listen, it's, it's okay. Now, like, do you feel like you understand now? Do you feel like this isn't, this is something more than what you thought it would. Be? was you know and I and I remember looking at my dad and my mom and I said yeah I believe it now and sometimes I think that (laughs) I think that it's one of those things where you just have to get kicked in the ass (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know what I mean for it to -hmm. to, yeah but seriously you know what I mean like I think that sometimes you know you 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 test something once you test something twice and then you're like hmm I don't know if I want to test it again because I keep getting you know I keep getting hurt and I don't want it to get worse because each time it got worse, you know, like it's, it's, it's real kind of, it becomes really easy after that, you know what I mean? To be like, okay, wow. I just, uh, yeah, I just don't want to (laughs) die because I think that that probably will be the next step and that I have so much to live for and my, just, you know, the hug from my parents and Um, seeing the look in their eyes, they just scared the living crap out of me. You know what I mean? They they saw what I wasn't seeing, which was, if this happens again, you probably won't get another hug from us if we're in the same spot in the same position again.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's so huge. And I heard you say, uh, it was your father's love. And, And so when you said, your father's love for you. And you felt that. And, and that's the same thing that actually happened to me. It was God like downloading to me. Like, I love you. It was like the first time in my life when I was 18 that I I heard like that audible voice, like, I love you. You're my child. And it was such a a transformational moment for me, Ryan. And I know that exact feeling that you're feeling and we all need those moments, you know, So I I made that number two, Uh, number three, I said, Uh, recognize when you start to feel ashamed and you said something really huge to get past that uh, which is humility in my mind of taking that first step of still talking anyway of talking through it
1: yeah yeah I think that once you can get past uh, I think getting through it being uh, being ashamed is the first step is to just Just talk, talk to that one person that is, you know, it's going to, you're going to have to just like bite your lip and just talk to that one person that you know, is going to be the hardest person to talk to. And once you get over that hump, it all becomes easy after that. And you'll stop being, you know, ashamed and it just, it flows better, you know?
0: So good. Did you ever join AA at all, Ryan? Was that ever part of your, your therapy?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I did that for, um...
0: Yeah. Is that a good thing? And yeah, is that a good thing? Um, The reason why I ask is because I had someone that I know uh, that was also addicted to alcohol, but made fun of going through AA and then started drinking again and, Mm, you know, kind of went off that slippery slope. And I, I've never gone to AA, but I've only heard the amazing things about it, obviously. So tell that experience for you and maybe somebody that's on the fence, whether or not they should go.
1: Well, I think that, again, this is kind of going back to, I can only really speak on my experience uh, with, with AA. Um, I think everyone kind of, uh, I th- here's 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 what I'll say if AA isn't for you, then find something else that is for you. That's going to keep you sober. Cause exactly. like, that's the, that's the important yes. thing. Who cares if you're going to AA, if you're keeping sober by doing something else. So maybe it's therapy, you know what I mean? Maybe it's seeing a therapist, maybe it's, you know um, you know, talking, you know, talking to someone uh, or exercising, whatever it may be. If it's keeping you sober, then you know, hell yeah, go do that. You know what I mean? For me at the time when I, had, when I, when I got out of rehab, uh, you know, AA was keeping me sober at the time. That kind of casually, you know, uh, or eventually, not casually, but eventually kind of branched off into other things that would, uh, you know, keep me sober. Now today, I don't really go to AA anymore, but I do go to uh, a therapist. I go to counseling and, you know, she is a an addictions counselor and um, she, you know, I just talk to her once a week you know, an hour session. And that's what keeps me sober. And then obviously, you know, um, you know, my my loving family and, you know, just they, they keep in contact with me and just hanging out with my friends and family who uh, support me being sober. Being around people who don't support you being sober, um, <laughs> obviously, yeah. is probably not where you want to be. So anywhere you can be to be sober. And um, that makes you feel like wow, I'm doing the right thing by, you know, by, by, by being sober.
0: I love it. Yeah. I, I wrote down talk through your shame and choose somebody in your life that you know that you could talk to that's going to help you to stay sober. That's brilliant. What you 100%. said, Ryan. So, and then number four, um, I but stop putting your parents on a pedestal. And, and I love <laughs> yeah. that because I've talked about that so much to so many people because they use a lot of their, um a a lot of their problems and challenges they blame their parents and and it's like wait a minute your parents are human they're not god like why did you make them (laughs) god what was that transformational moment for you ryan that helped you to stop doing that i I ask a lot of the people on my uh podcast series about this because most successful people uh, took their parents off the pedestal and so how were you able to do that
1: well, I, I, th- I, think, uh, man, I feel like I'm so fortunate in, in, in the, in the sense that I had my, my parents told me things that I needed to hear at the time I needed to hear them, you know what I mean? So, uh, by my mom and my dad saying, you know, listen, you know, you don't have to be like us, you know what I mean? This version of, of success that you see in your head is, is what we have, but it might not be what you need or what you should have in your life. So just stop. It's okay. You know what I mean? And once I heard that from my parents, I was like, wow, okay, cool. I can, (laughs) I can move on from this, you know? So again, God, man, there's a lot of people out there that probably don't have that, you know, gosh, uh, my parents are amazing. You know, I I, I'll say it over and over again. They're they're so amazing. Mm -hmm. And they, they said, I think they, they just, I think me being so open with them after getting sober and telling them that like, you know, uh, being like, oh, I feel like I need to do this. I need to do that. Or if I don't go to this college or I don't do this or get this education, they're, they're just, just, just stop, just stop. It's okay. Ryan, you don't have to be like that. You can do what you want. We just want you to be happy. You don't have to be super, super successful in what you do. We just want you to be happy, and that's that's actually what mm-hmm. is success in my mind is just being happy.
0: I love that. And okay, so talk to the people right now that maybe don't have parents that are supporting in them. That so they're still, um, you know, in the background saying, you know, just get out of our lives unless you're going to follow what I tell you to do. Let's just pretend. I mean, obviously <laughs> I didn't I didn't have parents like that. You didn't have parents like that. We're yeah. blessed. Like we're highly blessed. Yeah. I mean, what about yeah. people that don't? Like how can they still take them off the pedestal? What would you recommend to them?
1: I I would recommend finding the like a tribe, you know, finding the culture like I found with Paul Mitchell. You know what I mean? Um if you could find that through meetings, you know, with, with AA, then um, mm-hmm. I mean, there is, a, I mean, I don't give AA enough credit. I know I said that I've like branched off from, from AA, but like if, uh, yeah, if you're, you know, trying to get sober and you're going to meetings, you know what I mean? Try to, try to open up to someone, you know what I mean? That will listen. There's someone there that will listen to you. I promise you there's someone there that will listen to you. And once you, and once you kind of start spilling your guts, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. to that, that person that's listening to you, good things start to happen. Good things yes. will happen. They will happen. I promise you. Once you start spilling your guts and they're, all of a sudden you'll start to notice people that surround you with open arms. And they might not be your family, but that's okay. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's Those people will, uh, you, know, like, you know, they'll end up being your family in, in sort of ways, you know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And there's so many times, Ryan, that our future professionals will give them a referral to someone to talk to because we know that they're not talking to somebody and they need to talk. And, and I think get one thing straight in this whole podcast, in order to be humble, you have to talk through your shame. You have to talk to somebody. Everybody needs somebody to talk to. I know so many successful people, including myself, that always have a therapist or a coach, sometimes both, right? And so it's just so important to be able to talk through things because they see your blind spots that you don't see. We all have blind spots. You know, we don't have eyes in the front of our head and the back of our head like, we can't see everything, you know, oh, and, and I
1: welcome, and I welcome that too. I think that's another thing too, that of, I guess, you know, if you want to say being humble or whatever, I, I welcome people telling me what I could work on because I, I know for a fact I am far from perfect <laughs> and I, yes. I'm going to need someone to tell me because I'm not going to notice the things that I'm doing uh, wrong or that I'm failing at or, um, that I, you know, that I need work on. So I need that. I good. need those people around me to, to help me and tell me my, what I, what I need to work on.
0: So good, Ryan. I, I love it. What, well I want to stop on that one here in a moment. Uh, so I put number five, uh, which I love that you said you did some constant self-reflection and, and rehab. It took rehab to do that. i Talk to many successful people and they'll say, you know what, I go away out into the woods, uh, so to speak, uh, once a year and just sit down and just self-reflect with myself. And it's therapy for myself to be able to just, because I think we cover ourselves up with so much noise, TV, music, whatever we could do to kind of like block our subconscious from actually thinking, you know, that's why I constantly tell people, listen, you're not just a professional only human being. You're also a spiritual human being. Like you've got to really address those spiritual issues, those soul issues. And that's what you did. And you stopped telling yourself those lies and you started telling yourself the truth like, hey, wait a minute, I deserve to live. I have a purpose. I am valuable. I am made wonderful. And, you know, it took me a long time to get to that point. And, you know, I still tell myself lies. (laughs) Yes, we all do.
1: Yeah. Yes. Things are, things are, are not perfect yet. You know what I mean? And they never will be. So.
0: Yeah, not till we get to heaven. Right. (laughs) And so it's so true. And, and so what do you do when you catch yourself lying? Like, give me like a a reality moment for you, Ryan, and and maybe somebody Mm -hmm. will experience this. We actually had a really great call with over Uh, 200 of our future professionals were doing distance learning right now because our schools were shut down. We had Kelly Mm -hmm. Cardenas be a guest speaker and he was actually talking about this everyone's value and and he was coaching one of our future professionals on the call and she was crying. It was so beautiful Ryan and I was like this is what these moments are made for and you know why we had to do this and why this distance learning even if it was just for this one future professional right so that she would stop lying to herself right? And I did that for (laughs) years. I kept lying to myself and you're right. I still do it from time to time too. And I, but I catch myself. What's your uh, transformational moments when you catch yourself? What do you do?
1: (laughs) Oh man. I think that if I, if I ever have a thought where I might be doing something that is questionable, I reach for the people I trust most. And I say, Hey, I think that this might be something a little, a little off that's going on with me. So whether it be my, my girlfriend or, you know, my parents, or even, you know, my, the owner, uh, Michael of my, of the salon I work for, he's, you know, he's a really Mm -hmm. good coach as well. And he, (laughs) if I ask someone to, uh, that I, if I'm, I'm I'm kind of questioning something that I might be uh, a little, a little worried about um, or unsure about. I know that there are people, certain people around me that if I ask them, they'll tell me, you know what I mean? So I think I just reach for those people. Um, does that answer your question?
0: Yeah, that's so good. I love it. it people that you trust the most. So again, yeah, trust. You've Got exactly. You have. To, it goes back to be grounded, surrounded and connected, you know, and maybe, yeah. you know, I heard something really great today. Um, you know, yeah, maybe you don't 100% trust them, but why don't you try testing? them and see if you can trust them because obviously when you first get to know somebody you know let's think you start just working with a team and so you're like i'm not sure if i trust them but let me test them and to see if i can <laughs> right and, and I so then that, you i reach think the out. good
1: one too is like if you test them they'll probably tell you something like oh no yeah you're doing that great like no yeah you have nothing to worry about
0: <laughs> yes <laughs> you know? don't don't uh don't be trust uh, don't trust people that tell you what you want to hear Exactly. Wow. Okay, that was powerful. And I think that goes into one of the steps that we're going to talk about in a moment. But I I want to stop on number six, which I put gratitude, uh, just an attitude of gratitude. And and that's so huge. And every successful person I talk to, that's their number one step, you know, just the gratitude that they have. I feel like we're in that attitude of gratitude right now. Uh, Ryan, with the coronavirus, we're all you know stuck in our home so to speak and just i think people are going to have so much gratitude when they go back to work you know and just oh, be yeah. so happy oh yeah absolutely the day 100% that we can that. <laughs> that we can hug again and the day that we can actually shake hands again you know just that gratitude i've really watched our staff and all of our companies just have so much gratitude for one another and i i think we almost needed that as a country you know to get back to get grounded you know it goes back to what i said in step one be grounded surrounded and connected and so and i made number seven uh the last step is to welcome people to coach you and i love that you said i am far from perfect and talk to those people right now, because the number one reason why people lack humility is because they think they're perfect and they don't need to be coached. <laughs> right. And we know I that- think that's,
1: that's so funny because people, <laughs> the people who probably think they're perfect uh, wouldn't think that about themselves. Does that make sense? <laughs> yes.
0: yes, exactly. So, and that's, what I was going to say, I bet it extends from childhood trauma, something that happened in their childhood that made them put the walls up around them because they thought I'm never going to be coached again because this is what happened to me. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. really go- going back to the self-reflection, get therapy, whatever you need to do to get the help that you need, because you need to be coached because you have blind spots. So talk about that for you, Ryan, as we start to close this out. So how do you sure. welcome people to coach you?
1: Well, let me tell you, first of all, that came with some practice (laughs) that came with some, some big, some big practice. Cause like, uh, yeah, I probably before I've been like, there's times where I think back to, you know, um, you know, when I was younger and, um, maybe when I was using, um, drugs and alcohol, or even right after I was using drugs and alcohol, uh, there was a time where, you know, if someone had said something to me, you know for instance you know for an example if there was a someone sitting in my chair and they said something that may really offend me uh, i think not reacting the way that i uh want it to react that i want to react in that moment that took a lot of practice you know what i mean um mm-hmm. so I, I think like just kind of thinking about the bigger picture before opening my mouth <laughs> mm. was something that I had to really kind of like learn and teach myself. And honestly, I, I wouldn't have learned t- to that about myself if someone didn't tell me that that was, you know, how I was or how I would react. And, you know, my parents, my parents, my um, my my friends, my, <laughs> my ex-girlfriends, <laughs> they've all mm-hmm. told me like, you don't think before you open your mouth sometimes. Do you realize that? And I think that being around those, those people in my life who really loved and care about me, you know, they were, it, for them to tell me that, you know what I mean, is what I, what I needed to hear. Um, that's what I think kind of like turned me into, into being, trying to practice um, listening a little bit more, listening to, to people like just shutting my mouth and not really quite th- just, just, Saying whatever I want to say on the dime, you know, just kind of like, just listening to someone else talk first, you know what I mean? I I think that like sort of quieted my mind and able to help me um, uh, become more of a listener instead of a talker. Um, and I don't I don't know if that does that answer yeah, your question. Great. I know I keep saying that.
0: <laughs> no, that's that's really good, and I love that because that's the bottom line. Right. And so kind of just working through that process, because I know a lot of people who have a lot of issues with people. And I keep trying to say, well, if you have so many issues, maybe it's you. Like, have you ever thought about that? (laughs) It's you. (laughs) you. you. Yeah. And uh, so just to be unoffended. And so are you offended a lot? And so it's things, people saying to you, offending you, and why, why is it like, maybe you need to stop and reflect. Yeah. And I love that you said, listen, shut your mouth, quiet your mind. <laughs> right? yeah. Because I guarantee impossible. you, if you're feeling
1: offended, if you're feeling offended in that moment, I guarantee you, if you just don't say anything, you'll think about it later. And it'll be like, wow, I didn't, you know, now that my, I, my mind is calmed from the anxiety or the tension or the stress in that moment that that person said that to me, you can actually reflect on what that what was said to me, you know what I'm saying? And, and, yes. and it's not so bad, you know what I mean? As, as it was in that moment, it's not as bad anymore.
0: <laughs> That's so true. That's so true. Yeah, so if you, if someone coaches you and tells you something, instead of getting offended, just stop, like think on it, reflect on it, and you're right, and later on it'll say you're right. And it actually took me quite a few years Being coached by my husband on all of my idiosyncrasies because I have quite a list actually, and is no way perfect Tina.
1: Yeah, (laughs) 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 him
0: sharing with me, and now I'm like, oh, you're right immediately. But it took years. You know, we've been married 33 years. In the beginning, it's just like you're crazy. You know, you're just crazy. And uh, but it took me years to to be coachable. And you're right; it is. It takes practice. And yeah. just keep practicing practice, practice practice makes perfect, but you'll never be perfect until you get to yes. heaven right <laughs> so I love it so ryan um uh, what what's next for you um what's your goals what what's I always say what's your big hairy, audacious goals that you yeah. have in your life
1: um I, you know right now i i i <laughs> I have some, I have some goals, and in my, in my uh, but I, I'm sure my girlfriend will probably be listening to this podcast at some point, at some point, and my family members. <laughs> uh, I like to leave a little mystery um, about uh, certain things that I would like to keep to myself about my, my goals of, uh, but you know, I, I want to be married. Uh, maybe that'll give a little hint to certain things. <laughs>
0: oh. <laughs> there we go. It could be the first time you could ask someone to marry you on my podcast. Not just kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not doing that. That's not my
1: style. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe one day, uh, definitely have my own salon. I've actually talked to, to Michael, the uh, the owner of the salon that I work for now, um, about it a little bit, and um, Michael and Denise, and they've kind of given me a little pointers and stuff like that but that's that's pretty far away I, I think that I'm just really wanting to my goal for for right now is is for is for what's tomorrow I don't want to look too far mm-hmm. into the future because then I can't focus on the now and I, I tend to at me personally I, I tend to um, do better when I'm thinking in the now um, and not thinking too far into the future because I can't control obviously the future, obviously it's good to have goals. And um, I, I think that um, I definitely have some big goals of, of you know, owning a house, uh, owning my, you know, having my own salon, being married, um, having, having some, having some dogs, you know, running around the house, uh, not, I don't, <laughs> no kids or anything like that, but, uh, I'm not, uh, but you know, maybe some dogs and <laughs> having an open <laughs> yard. And, Lounging in the back, smoking a, smoking a cigar, like, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much, Ryan. Any last piece of advice as we close out this podcast? And thank you so much again for doing this with us. I know it's going to help a lot of people.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't know. Um, hey, don't think, don't think too hard on things. Think about the now. Think about Be grateful for what you have um, whenever you're feeling down, Thank you, Tina. Love you.
0: Okay. Love you too. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to send us your stories of transformation through www.tinablack.net. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to give it a rating and subscribe. See you next time.